What's up, everybody? Before we get the podcast started, I just wanted to remind you that we have merch for sale, official podcast merch. You can go to the link in the description of this very podcast and go to our Teespring account and get a shirt, two coffee mugs, and a COVID-19 custom mask with our logo on it, because why not milk this pandemic for all it's worth financially? So uh, again, the description to our merch is in the description of this podcast. On to the show. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode number 210 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries, and it's been a while! Uh, I think everyone does that who was born uh, at the time when that song was popular by the band Stained. Anytime you say it's been a while, you go, it's been a while! But no, it has been a while. It, it, you haven't heard from me and Mike from like through Christmas and December. Yeah, we, we didn't even have the dignity to put out a podcast for the fucking new year. We just kind of just sauntered on in the classroom like 14 days late and we don't even give you any kind of uh, anything. It's just like, well, yeah, we got here when we could. What of it? <laughs> but yeah, we're back and uh, I am Josh and my co-host is Mike. Mike, how you doing? I'm doing good. I'm, I'm doing fine. Uh, 2021 so far has told 2020 to hold its beer, but I'm hoping that, uh, you know, things get better. Um, Mike, I don't know what you could be talking about. Everything has been completely normal. The, the coronavirus is gone. Uh, there has been a peaceful exchange of power in the White House. It did exactly what everyone thought was going to happen on New Year's. Everyone was like, fuck 2020. Bye, bitch. And then as soon as the clock hit January 1st, 2021, all of our problems magically disappeared because that's what happens every year. And then there were rainbows and there were butterflies and I mean, there was magic in the air and everybody was super happy. And it's the same thing with birthdays. Like, you know, the day that you were born, however many years ago. All of a sudden, you're just a different person now. Now, now I'm I am 33 years old, and everything's different now. Or, or maybe you're 29 and you turn 30. Oh, I'm 30. Everything's different now. Oh, oh, wait, no. Everything is exactly the same because time is a man-made construct that doesn't actually exist. That's right. I forgot about that. No, it's still the same shit, folks. Same shit, different day, different year. Um, we're not going to get into all that because if we get into all that, it's just going to be something that I have to edit out later because we try to keep this podcast as politic free as possible. Though I know if you go back in our archives, you very well know our opinions on politics, but, uh, 
you know, we're trying to keep that out of it. You know what I mean? Keep all the uh, all the people in the neutral area and, and, and focus on let's focus on the more positive things like murders and kidnappings and, and destructions of towns. Um, that, that's what we would rather talk about on this podcast. But before we get into that, I haven't I legitimately have not talked to Mike in like three or four weeks. How you fucking doing, Mike? Uh, you already asked me that, didn't you? Yeah, you already off, asked me how I'm doing. Off, uh, off record, right? Off recording. What were we? No, no. You literally asked. That's why I said I'm doing fine. Okay. Well, I've been drinking a lot more, uh, so my brain isn't <laughs> as good as it once was, and I'm back on anti-anxiety medication. So uh, there are definitely holes in in my brain tissue that were not previously so, there. So how are you doing? Well, um. I'm I'm doing okay in a general sense. Um, I, I I do not regret taking December off from the podcast because there was a lot of stuff going on with weddings, and it was just like every week there was like just shit. You know, being a DJ, the the holidays are when everyone wants entertainment, so that's when you get hoard out all over the place to to do these weddings and um. You know, so it's just kind of one of those things where I'm just busy all the time. And honestly, it's like I can't really enjoy doing the podcast if I'm stressing out about a wedding that I have the next day or in a couple of days and all. So I was just like, you know what? I've heard other podcasters take the whole uh, month of December off. So so why don't we do that? So uh, hopefully we would return fresh as fresh as fucking daisies. But uh, yeah, I will say that my anxiety has um, kind of reared its ugly head again in the form of um i don't know that's like i was like driving on the highway a few weeks ago and um i was late to this this wedding that i was gonna dj and i'm driving on the highway and just out of nowhere just claustrophobia anxiety panic attack kicks in and i'm like i do not want to be on the highway anymore i'm freaking the fuck out i'm like having a i'm like literally like <gasps> like breathing like crazy and i'm like what the fuck dude what are you doing and i was like i gotta get off the highway I gotta get off the highway and then once i did like my anxiety calmed down I'm like what the fuck is this man like so i you know i just chalked that up to like okay i was stressed out because of the wedding i was running late you know i was tired blah 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 but then it happens again when I go to my doctor out in uh, Callahan, which is a s- little rednecky city outside of Jacksonville. Um, it's where I where my doctor's at. I'm, I need to change my fucking doctor. I way too far of a drive. But anyway, I, I, I this kind of the similar thing happens driving out there. I'm kind of like start freaking out when I get on this like highway, and then it happens a third time driving to my aunt's house December nineteenth for this Christmas Eve thing. So um, yeah, I I. I about 10 years ago, I would get these, like, panic attacks when I would drive on the highway, and then I got a medication, and it got better. So, now here I am taking fucking uh, Lexapro again, because um, I, I, I'm i a wedding DJ. I'm a regular DJ. I Driving around far distances is, like, part of my job, so I can't be afraid to do that, so... So that's then been the thing that's been on my mind lately, uh, aside from just... Well, that's unfortunate. Yeah. Um, but one of I guess it's just things. the name of the game when it comes to having anxiety. 
Yeah, it really is. To deal with for the rest of your life. Yep. It's like a constant thorn in your side. Um, you, I haven't had anything close to that in terms of anxiety, but we're so slow at work right now that we're like dead for like the last four hours. And I've been doing a lot of closing shifts. So when it gets to that point, when there's barely anybody in the store, I've done everything. Then my mind starts to get restless. And I, I've noticed that I do get a little anxious for some reason when there's like nothing left to do and it's just completely slow and we're also doing a lot of like reorganizing and rearranging and so there's so many empty shelves and all this other stuff it it, it just triggers something in my mind uh so i actually left work a little early um we needed to cut hours anyway but i left work a little early last night because i was starting to feel it a little bit so i need to figure out how to handle that a little bit better um but yeah not as extreme as what you're feeling but from a similar place yeah i mean it's it's just it i compare my mental shit my mental problems whatever you want to call it to like a dam that springs a leak like as soon as you plug up one hole like another leak springs up somewhere else so i could be like having some kind of phobia one day and then kind of just get over that and then a new thing will will come up and uh you know this particular one interferes with my ability to work so that's why because i'm not one that like jumps on medication you know just willy-nilly i i had to really you know think about it and be like well you know I, I can't i just i literally can't be freaking out when i'm trying to drive somewhere i mean that's just that just can't happen i can't that's unacceptable so you know i'm not happy about getting back on a goddamn ssri anti-anxiety medication but you know you do what you gotta do and then you know it's not forever you're on it for a little bit until it starts to kind of work and you kind of get into your system and then for me personally after a few months you know once i start feeling more stable i get off of it you know i don't stay on it for years and years like some people do i don't i don't think that's a good thing i think you need to if you feel the need to be on it for that long maybe you need to address some underlying like cause and and handle that rather than just taking because man the side effects of this shit are uh can be really annoying in certain areas that i won't get into of the sexual nature, I will say. And we'll just leave it at that. Um, anyway, so yeah. Um, at least uh, you aren't spending so much time alone in a hot tub. Yes, Mike is foreshadowing um, the the documentary that we're going to be talking about this week. Um, one that I, as soon as I saw it, I messaged mike and i was like dude you got to watch this documentary we got to do an episode about this it's it's great um and it's called tread and it's on netflix and you can go and watch it right now um mike was saying before we started recording that uh i don't know if it's still on netflix it's on tubi right now so it might no i watched it i watched it yesterday on netflix okay so it's on both if you don't have netflix you can also watch it on tubi tubi i hate that name but yeah, Mike really enjoyed it. He said uh, it's cut turn turned out to be one of your favorite documentaries of 2020. 
Yeah, one of my favorite films of 2020. It's, it was that good. Damn. It was that compelling. It was a good pace to it. It was only an hour and 20-something minutes. It never really felt like it overstayed its welcome or was dragging its treads, so to speak. Um, and it's just one of those stories that, <laughs> as it unfolds, you just can't believe what you're hearing, what's going on. I also love how the film initially makes you think one way and you're like oh they done messed with him they done pushed this guy too far and then you find out that the guy just has a bunch of screws loose and he's a sociopath with clear psychopathic tendencies and all of this shit that he's talking about about these people in his town being out to get him is all a bunch of bullshit and on top of that, he is a very talented welder and engineer. Yes. So that is the combination for disaster right there. So I'm going to be reading from this Variety article that kind of did a, uh, a, a play-by-play synopsis of this movie, and then me and Mike are just kind of discuss our thoughts relating to these certain things that they're talking about in here. So for roughly the first third of the movie's running time, Marvin Hayemeyer a 50-something welder and muffler shop owner in the small Colorado mountain town of Granby, Granby certainly seems to fit the genre stereotype of a hard-working, straight-shooting guy who doesn't become violent until he's pushed too far. Uh, to be sure, that initial impression is sustained largely by Hayemeyer himself, who's heard on recordings he made before his date with Destiny, and a group of interviewees that includes his former girlfriend, and that's one thing I will say about this documentary, and I've said it about other ones that I really like. To me, some of the best documentaries, uh, they have that uh, firsthand recordings, whether it be audio recordings or video recordings and even secondhand video recordings of like the actual events that they're talking about in this documentary. And that's like, to me, what separates like an OK documentary from like a great documentary is really having yeah. that archival footage. And it's they, having uh, more evidence, more echoes from the past instead of just your typical sit-down interview footage. Yeah, and I mean... Of, of people talking about what happened in in the past or years ago. So uh, without actual audio recordings or footage, and that makes it so they have to rely upon reenactments uh, heavily or focus in on a very small group of interviews because there are some documentaries that have an interesting concept and there's an interesting uh, sequence of events that's at play, but they can be kind of boring and dull because you only have like five people that they're really talking about. Yeah. Or, and I mean, you want to, you want to get as much as you can straight from the horse's mouth, you know, like you, you, you don't, you like, it's annoying to me when they're doing like a documentary on say like John Lennon or something. And you just have to get these, they can't even get like, you know, Paul McCartney or Yoko Ono. They get like people who were like documentarians of John Lennon or historians yeah. of John Lennon. And it's like, you really have no connection to the source like you you didn't know the guy you just uh, you know are reporting kind of the it reminds me of audio commentaries on movies that are just interviews with some historian like it's a commentary by a film historian Ugh. he doesn't really have the actual connection with he the film he wasn't because on set. They didn't, 
Yeah, no. So what kind of information are they really going to have that's going to be that informative or that entertaining or interesting? Here you got Marv's psychotic tape recordings. Yeah, he's got like basically and, his manifesto on uh, yeah. on re- recorded form, you know. So it's 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 a lot of it's narrated by the guy himself. Yes. You know, that's this. what also helps it be really unique is that it's narrated by Marv. It, it follows his voice. And I love how the film is put together in terms of how everything unfolds. It starts off one way. It looks like it's going to go down this particular path. It's going to be one of those documentaries. It's like, oh, yeah, like this guy did the, did a wrong thing, but you kind of he's sort of underdog. justify it. Yeah, you know, rooting for the underdog because uh, he's just getting uh, put down by the establishment and the people in the town just didn't understand him and they pushed him too far. Yeah. But as the film continues to unfurl, you realize that that's not the case at all. This guy is just a fucking whack job. Yeah, and and the director decided to make his own killdozer. The director Paul Salette really crafted it geniusly in that regard. Yes, um, like kind of revealing his side of the story. Then in the second uh, third of the movie, it's revealing the other people's side of the story, which is the more realistic and believable side. And then the the third half of the movie is just. Uh, Monster Truck Madness, nineteen ninety seven. So, and the editor too, uh, Darren Roberts. Uh, he also helped uh, with that a lot as well. I particularly really loved how they edited in a particular photograph of Marv, and they waited till a certain point later on in the film to reveal the rest of the photo. And he's like holding this fucking big ass fifty caliber rifle. Yeah, with this weird demented smile on his face so even during the early going it's a tad troublesome to perceive the resolute fervor in his taped supplication quote god bless me in advance for the task which i am about to undertake for a considerable stretch however solette craftily structures tread in such a way that it's easy to accept hayemeyer as an avenging angel after moving to Granby in the early 90s, we're told Hayemeyer purchased at public auction a two-acre site where he established a muffler shop. As the business prospered, he developed friendships with a few locals, including fellow snowmobile enthusiasts who marveled at his ability to manufacture custom bumpers for their vehicles, and the aforementioned girlfriend, Trisha McDonald, who says that during their early days as a couple, she, quote, always felt safe with him. Which is ironic, considering what this guy ultimately did. Right. Uh, he was the epitome of unsafe. But even, like, showing, like, the snowmobile get-togethers, like, yeah, with, the, you know... the Thursday crew. Yeah, so it's like he had friends. Most people yeah. even said at the beginning of the documentary, most people liked him. He had a good reputation in that town um, until he fucking snapped one day. Um, and yeah, he, he built these custom bumpers that went around the snowmobiles and he was just super crafty like that. And they could, you know, run over four and five inch trees. No problem with these. uh, And he was like a, uh, mentor to this 16 year old kid. Yeah. And it looks like for what he's wearing, he might've went on to be an actual snowmobile racer or something. Yeah. In the interview. 
So the good times didn't last. Hayamaya recalls that as early as his 1992 land purchase, he got crosswire with a businessman <laughs> who had also bid on the property and who had strong ties with the powerful family that controlled most of Granby and the town's government officials. Over the years... This this is this confrontation as it's shown in the reenactment. It reminded me of some of the over the top hilarious exchanges from Unsolved Mysteries, you know, where somebody it, the acting is over the top, but it works. You have Cody Docheff who's like yelling at him and swearing at him and just being all mad, this mad angry old man. And when they initially showcase that part of the story. You're on Marv's side. You're like, yeah, what a fucking asshole. You know, because even Marv even says, like, Cody Dochef, he was a fucking asshole. <laughs> yeah. So, over the years, Hayemeyer lost a series of legal battles against the city council, which he claimed singled him out for harassment by strictly enforcing laws pertaining to water and sewage, sewage access. So... In this auction that we were just talking about where Cody Dochef approaches Marv and, like, harasses him, uh, Marv had just won this piece of land that uh, Cody Dochef had wanted for his cement factory. Yeah, his Mountain Park concrete uh, plant, yeah. Yeah, so he curses him out. And then, in Marv's mind, the city starts singling him out and saying like the biggest bone of contention was they wanted him to connect his sewage to the main sewage line in the city. Mm -hmm. And the sewage line was like something like 40 or a hundred yards from wasn't like 400 feet or something like that. Something something like that. I I don't know what it was. It was far away enough to where it would have cost like 60,000 to $80,000 to connect to the city's sewer line. And he just won that uh, bid for what? 50,000. It wasn't even that. Yeah. So it was like, they were trying to just in his mind, they're like, they're trying to fuck him because they're trying to make him, you know, they're trying to punish them with this technicality and they were going to fine him a hundred dollars a day. If you know, by not having, they did. And then he tried to write a check, uh, to pay off whatever they were trying to find him for. And he wrote, uh, the amount wrong, but on the check, he wrote like some kind of uh, the Department rant. of Lies and Deceit, yeah. like in the memo yeah. area. Yeah, and he said that the uh, check was uh, he was forced to write it again, uh, and he felt like it was because they're just again just trying to fuck with him. No, you put the wrong amount in, and that's why. And and so that just when that is revealed that oh you just put the wrong amount in, then it causes this avalanche eventually throughout the documentary that provides even more truths to actually what occurred not what's going on in marv's mind what he thinks what he's fantasizing yeah happened because in reality uh dochef never yelled at him because he also has his friend who's there and his friend is like i we didn't say anything we didn't do anything just said uh hey i i just tipped my hat at him and we walked out like yeah. it wasn't anything that intense. And then when it comes to the sewage line, 
Dochef actually offered Marv for, I think, some kind of deal where he could uh, attach the sewage line uh, through the deal that he has for with his shop. And it wouldn't even be that big of a deal. Like He would make a deal with him and they would work something out. And once Marv eventually sold his property to this other guy who, who eventually uh, got the property, the guy hooked up the sewage right away. It was no problem whatsoever. A lot of the problems with Marv is uh, he sees a lot of stuff on principle. It's yeah. not the how easy it would be or how difficult. It's the principle of the fact that he feels like he's being fucked with and he's got to play ball the way they want him to uh, for them to be pacified. And he's just not the kind of guy who's going to do that, apparently. No. So he's going to uh, dig, his, even when, dig his heels even when, in the sand. Yeah, even when people like Dochef are, you know, lending a hand, putting out the olive branch, he's like, no, fuck that, you know. You slighted me, but he didn't really. He's just at this point slowly losing grip on reality, and he's recording everything. He's recording his thoughts on the on this tape recorder, and he's just completely starting to lose it. And that and and when that happens, complete and total fantasies start to become more real than they have any right being. And I think that's what happened. He just became so wrapped up in this fantasy idea that the town was out to get him. They're snickering at him. They're doing this and that. That uh, it sent him completely over the edge. To me, it's like a perfect parallel with this documentary is the, the Stephen King movie Secret Window with Johnny Depp, where Johnny Depp's character is this writer in this in the in this cabin in the woods and this guy shooter uh keeps coming up to him saying you stole my story and i'm not gonna let it go till right gets put right and all this bad shit starts happening to johnny depp's character and he starts think you know thinking that um you know all these people are out to get him or the shooter guy's out to get him he starts doing all this crazy shit and then at the end of the movie spoiler alert it's revealed that there was no shooter uh, Johnny Depp's character was going crazy and made up this character who was tormenting him. And really, everyone was just trying to be nice and cooperate with him mm-hmm. when he thought that they were all like, out to get him. I mean, it's like the exact same yeah. situation. So by the time his adversaries won their own battle for zonal approval to build a potentially polluting cement plant directly across the street from his shop, Hayermeyer was ready to take drastic action. Really, really drastic action. (laughs) This is the point where in conventional rural revenge melodramas, you're inspired to start cheering for our hero and admiring his ingenuity as he hashes out an audacious plan for settling scores. Well, to be honest, I still kind of admire his ingenuity here. Like, what he pulled off is impressive. Oh, very impressive. It's amazing in a technical standpoint on a multitude of different ways. Uh, I mean, what he did to this bulldozer is is the kind of stuff you think would only occur in a movie. Right. Like the Punisher would decide to like fortify a bulldozer for some battle with some really tough adversary and then 
he made his own tank out of a bulldozer. You'd be like, yeah, I could see the Punisher doing that. But that's a comic book. And this this actually happened. He created a tank with it, a bulldozer. And if it wasn't for Ronald Reagan's death on that very same day, more of the world would know about this story. Long- well, the documentary made that uh, made it a very well-known story. Yes. So long before this point in Tread, however, nagging doubts about a possibly unreliable narrator give way to full-blown certitude that instead of being a plucky underdog, Hayemeyer was a delusional sociopath who truly believed God was on his side. And boy, yeah, did he bring up eerie. Did he bring up God like uh, so many times in his 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 psycho rantings on tape? He's like, I- I'm not a slave to man. I'm a slave to God. And yeah. God wants me to do this, and I, you know, blah blah blah. blah. Uh, the whole the whole exchange when he's talking about the day that he felt like that he uh, was spoke he was spoken to by God to do this is really creepy because like, I was just sitting there in my hot tub and and I was alone and and uh, I would and. and I, and I heard this voice, and God told me, you know, this is what needs to be done. And you're like, this is the kind of stuff that people say when they go on rampages, when they decide to go on violent crusades, because they are completely losing their minds. Right. So, Paul Salette manages his movie's wrenching reversal, of course by adding new witnesses to his lineup of interviewees, including, naturally, many of the people accused of treachery by Hayemeyer, and utilizing many slickly produced scenes of, quote, historical reenactment to enhance a riveting narrative that inexorably devolves into a worst-case scenario. Yeah, and these reenactments are really good. I thought the reenactments here are some of the best best that I've seen in a documentary in a while. Definitely. I mean In terms of doing it without any dialogue for the most part. But it's because of how well they're shot, how they're able to carry over the emotion that's needed without dialogue. Because there's a lot of reenactments out there. The new Unsolved Mysteries is a prime example of this. It doesn't really show the needed emotion. Yeah. It's just it's just there to push the narrative forward or to buy, provide maybe a little bit more information. Uh or just straight up atmosphere and literally nothing else. But these reenactments actually feel like they have a concrete place in the film and uh, I think that's definitely a big positive for the movie. As is the variety of interviews. Like, how often do you see films like this where they get pretty much everybody that they possibly could involved with sharing their stories, talking about their place in it all? I mean, and not all of them are, like, super bitter. Like, you would think, like, maybe, you know, the Thompsons, since, like, he just completely destroyed and trashed their, their home, their mom's home, their business... You know, all these other people who had their businesses completely wrecked by uh, Marv's killdozer, <laughs> they're talking about him like, you know, like he was not necessarily a good guy or a guy that they particularly liked that much, but it didn't seem like there really was any hate there. No. 
Yeah, no, nobody... I mean, obviously, all these people probably had insurance and all that, so they were probably yeah. able to get, you know, get everything repaired or whatever. But, um, yeah, they were, I mean, according to one of the, the Thompson brothers, he was saying, uh, you know, oh, he's generated a lot of money for this town because I guess there was a lot, of, there's a lot of tourists, maybe, yeah. and... Um, anyway. One of them was even upset that they didn't keep the killdozer. Yeah, we're kind of so getting. Could make the... We're getting a little ahead of ourselves yeah. here. So yeah. Anyway, over a period of approximately a year and a half, Hayamire methodically transformed a Komatsu D55A bulldozer into a steel and concrete armored tank outfitted with automatic weaponry. He took it as a sign of God's will that he was able to fit the dozer inside his muffler shop in the first place. And when his work in progress wasn't detected by an insurance inspector, Heyermeyer concluded in his taped final testament that, quote, I wasn't supposed to get caught. I mean, he he also he went so overboard with this uh, bulldozer, with this mission uh, to the point where he was living in this small, cramped, enclosed area. He built, like, a cot, had, like, a TV there and, like, a hot plate. Was just spending days sleeping, eating, working on this thing. And there was even a point, though, where winter came along and this voice in his head, it, you, 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 you could take the rest of the winter off. You're not going to finish it in time. You might as well enjoy the winter. Enjoy your snowmobiles. And that's what he did. He went snowmobiling. Like, everything was cool. Um, But yeah, he makes a big to-do about how, you know, this Komatsu bulldozer that he acquired, um, it, it was, uh, it, it just barely fit, you know. It was by, like an inch, yeah. I, I think it was like an inch lower than the, you know, the opening that it yeah than the opening so it was it was just barely able to fit under there and it's that just was a coincidence a sign. it's not a sign from god and before he even put it in his in his building he had it sitting out by the road with a for sale sign ostensibly to intimidate the uh con- the owner of the concrete uh yeah. plant um cody cody dotrieve or whatever um, and, and he said nobody ever bought it. He even had a, uh, you know, cause yeah, he was Dochef. Yeah. Cody Do- Dochef. Dochef. Um, he was even, he even had a, um, auction of all of his stuff. And the only things that weren't sold was the bulldozer and his, and his uh, property, his, his, um, his muffler shop or whatever. Yeah. He, he did. Uh, he even said like, if somebody just came along and paid the amount. Uh, this would have never happened, but then you're like, uh, that's not really true. Cause some, there were other, like, I think it was Cody, Cody offered to buy the property. He, uh, it was like 300,000 at first. And then, <laughs> uh, you had an instance where, uh, Marv actually said, oh, I'll, 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 I will only take 375. And then Cody actually went up to 375 and he didn't go through with it. So I don't even know what he was doing at that point. Is he just stalling? Is this why did, was he getting more money to be able to add even more uh, 
additions to his killdozer. I don't understand why he was if this was the plan, why why he was risking everything. Well, because what if it sells? Then there's no nothing's going to happen. He eventually He's not going to do God's will. He eventually does sell his uh his his muffler shop but he rents a back room from the people who bought it from him and that's where he does all the work on his Mm -hmm. killdozer as mike put it um and they would work during the day and he would see what time they got off work and then he would work throughout the night and sleep all day so he was able to make all the noise he needed to overnight and nobody knew what he was doing and and the scene where the insurance inspector does come in he had a big tarp over it and he just told him that, oh, it's an advanced cooling uh, system yeah. that I'm working on. And he's even saying in the tape, he's like, he's like, you know, I can't believe they fell for it. I just made up something about I'm working on this ad- advanced cooling unit uh, for this college or whatever the hell. And he's like, all they would have had to have done is look underneath the tarp and, and they would have seen it. He's like, another sign that I wasn't supposed to get caught. So on June 4th, 2004, Hayamaya revved up his armored vehicle and set about demolishing private and public buildings <laughs> throughout Granby while police uh, repeatedly proved unable to stop the weapon of selective destruction. Now, I will say uh, one thing about the construction of this bulldozer, this killdozer, it, the uh, Komatsu bulldozer was already a fucking gi- ginormous it's bulldozer. A it's a beast. It's bigger than any normal bulldozer. I mean, that's without anything that uh, Marv did to it. But this dude, with his welding skills, he had these thick sheets of steel that he welded together and left in like an opening between the two sheets, filled that with concrete. Yeah. So you have a sheet of steel, concrete, and another sheet of steel. His ingenuity is amazing. It really is. I mean, even what he did to be able to continue to build such a behemoth. I mean, he built a rig specifically that could lift these giant sheets of steel so he could weld them to the side of the bulldozer. Uh, He set cameras up. And TVs and inside of the bulldozer, so he could effectively cover up the entire cab with this steel to where there was no vulnerable spots. Yes, and reinforce it, but still be able to drive and see because of the cameras that were on different parts of of the killdozer. Yeah, and he like lubed up the back of it with Vaseline, so no one could easily climb on top of it there was an exhaust fan at the top of it that the cops thought that they could shoot through that was of no avail he had this um pressure system compressed yeah. air that would blow the debris away from um like the window the 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 it, 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 there was some the kind cameras of, there was some kind of term for it but he had this gun this rifle mounted uh, that was sticking out of the back, and he had this um, basically bu- caliber, yeah. bulletproof glass type uh, little slit that he could look through, and he had compressed air set up to blow all the debris away so he could see. That was just crazy, and so um, and so were the photos of him with this big ass fucking rifle that 
looks like something from the movie RoboCop. You yeah. Know, the Cobra Assault Cannon, you know, state of the art, bang, bang. <laughs> you know, it looked like that kind of shit. You're like, this is just insane with a capital I. And then there's other pictures of him, like, comparing a regular bullet to, like, a big-ass 50 cal with this grin on his face. And it's crazy to think that he looks like your uncle. Like he really, he looks like one of my uncles. He really does. Yeah. Like at, for certain shots, he looks like one of my uncles. And I'm like, what the fuck is my uncle Bruce doing right now? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, as he's doing this, the first the first place he goes after is um, the the cement factory across the street that he despised so much and did not want made or constructed because he was convinced that the concrete dust would get all over his muffler shop and all inside and all that so he did not want that place to exist so he starts bulldozing this building and man this bulldozer makes metal look like little pieces of spaghetti like it 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 just literally makes short order of just ramming down anything he crashes it into like and this is at the point where they did a lot of reenactments with the bulldozer because they didn't quite have the footage for this particular portion but they did an amazing job of the reenactments rebuilding the entire killdozer the first shot of the killdozer breaking through the uh when he starts it up and busts through the the uh part of the shop i got that's an epic shot oh yeah yeah, now, that's like a shot that you're kind of like, yeah, like, but then you're like, no, <laughs> yeah, it's and- almost like one of those. It's shot in a way where it's somewhat heroic, but it's the complete opposite. I'm saying like, like there, there's this kind of badass quality. And I don't know if this is like the guy part of me speaking where, where, where there's something about guys that primitive, like urge to want to watch shit shit blow up i don't know if it's that or 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 if if it's generally felt by everyone who's seen it but there's just this this slight bit of like badassness to the whole thing because it's like damn visceral yeah it's like very visceral this modern marvel of construction and as he's like tearing down this cement plant the uh owner what's the fucker's name i keep forgetting cody cody uh, he gets in, uh, first of all, he gets a gun. He starts shooting at the killdozer. Doesn't do shit. Doesn't do jack shit. The bullets bounce right off it. It ain't, it, it doesn't even penetrate the first layer of steel. So then he gets into his own bulldozer, which is like a fourth the size of the killdozer. And they're like, okay, we need to get into, we need to like fuck up the treads of the killdozer because if you fuck they up- even try to like put like a piece of metal like a metal rod in the treads yeah and and that do- just does nothing it's like uh, marv has already thought a, a hundred steps down the road of anything that they're gonna do and nothing's working they take this bulldozer and they try to uh, put the plow right into the tread part and it just literally lifts the little baby bulldozer off the ground it, it doesn't even affect the killdozer. And Cody even gets knocked out. He gets knocked out on the second pass when he tries to lift and and uh, essentially uh, flip the killdozer over. Yeah. But uh, he ends up getting knocked out. And then, in a really tense moment, Marv takes out his fifty cal and starts blasting. And if it wasn't for uh, the, I'm trying to, I don't know the technical term for it, but you know, the scoop or whatever it is. Like if it wasn't for that being up in front of the window, Cody probably would have been 
dead. Yeah. So then because the, all the bullets went into the the front of the of his dozer. Yeah. So then the police come and they don't know how to they don't know what to do. They don't know how to stop it at this can point. Can you imagine that being on that call? You're like, uh, we have a uh I don't even know what to call this. Uh we got a bulldozer. A psychotic bulldozer <laughs> that is 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 plowing like raising the land. They show the cops show up and and they literally don't know what to do. They're sh- they are shooting at it with their more high powered guns. It ain't touching it. It ain't making a dent on this fucking thing. No. Um, and essentially, Cody even tries to get on the bulldozer at one point, but that's when the Vaseline comes into play because he can't get any grip on it. Yeah. So. Uh, he starts demolishing private and public buildings throughout Granby while police repeatedly proved unable to stop the weapon of selected destruction. Tread grippingly depicts the rampage with a potent mix of news footage, reenactments, and testaments from witnesses who, by and large, sound like they still can't quite believe, much less explain what they witnessed. I mean, Cody even thought the thing was radio controlled. He didn't think a, yeah. a, a human being was inside it. He's like well, Marv- he, he did feel that Marv was responsible. Yeah, he's like Marv's controlling it from the mountain somewhere. There, there's no one inside it. Um, and then you had like cops who were hiding behind this concrete barricade. The, yeah, these Jersey and, barriers that you see on yeah. when there's road construction. Mm-hmm. And this fucking killdozer just just heads right to the police officers, runs right over the cement barriers, no problem. At one point, they they he uh, Marv drives over one of the detectives' uh, SUVs, literally yeah. like it's a tin can, like just an yes. aluminum can. It just cru- it's crushes it. Inspiring. It, it, it really it's astonishing. is astonishing because you know you look at an automobile like, well, damn, that's a yeah, that's a pretty beefy metallic, you know, you, you thing yeah. that that can you know fuck shit up. But man, this tank makes these vehicles look like they're toys, dude. They literally look like they're matchbox yeah. cars. And the footage that uh, this reporter captures, uh, that's shown in in the film, is is absolutely astonishing in terms of the destruction. It's just like unbelievable. I mean, the bulldozer slowly just smashing through these buildings and just and just pulverizing them. Yeah. So. You have a cop. There's another cop. He decides to get on top of the bulldozer because he thinks like, oh, I can stop the killdozer's rampage by, I don't know. Accessing maybe. Maybe maybe there's an entrance point on the roof. And there wasn't. I guess it's almost like, I guess he like sealed. I wonder if he welded himself in. I think he did. I think he welded because he he knew that at the end of this, uh, he was either going to, he said, I'm either going to get blown away. Or this is going to run out of gas or something. But I think the whole thing was like, he's he's not, he wasn't planning on surviving this. No. Not at all. So he's like going all downtown. He he uh, basically fucks up any building where uh, anyone who wronged him in his mind, yeah. uh, anything that they have he anything to do with. He even had a list. He had these really creepy, disturbing lists that they showed in the film, too. That really are signs of, of somebody slipping uh, when it comes to uh, their place in, in reality. When, you know, he's like, all these notes talking about, you know, all these vague, really just 
disturbing kind of things. On the for sale sign, he drew like a ton of different random ass fucking ramblings on on a sharpie. Yeah, I was wondering what that was about. Yeah, I know. It's because he's just fucking nuts at that point. That's the kind of stuff that these people do when they're so far gone is just writing just all kinds of ramblings that are just the result of just psychosis. Pure psychosis. He bulldozes City Hall. He bulldozes uh, the um, electric company building. Uh, he, he gets to a point where he almost blew up half the town. He goes to this propane yard yes. with all these propane <laughs> tanks and he takes his gun out of the back of the tank and he's trying to shoot at these propane tanks, but he's got this um, back of uh, the back of the kill dozer. There's like this. Uh, it's like a scraper. Or it's something. like a scraper. It's like this this big metallic claw looking thing that. Uh, and before that, there was actually a guy who got in this other a bit of heavy machinery. No, that was after. And tried to. Oh, that was after. Yeah. Okay. So he's shooting at these propane tanks, but the scraper keeps getting in the way, which is probably yeah. the only thing he didn't account for in this whole thing was that that was going to get in the way of his gun. So yeah. he wasn't able to shoot the propane tanks, but if he had, he would have really done some damage. So he's like, fuck that. He, he goes to drive away from the propane yard. They're able, the city's able to commission this, I forget the technical name for it, but it's, you know, one of the many construction vehicles you see, it's kind of long. It's got like two parts to it and they park it right at the top of the hill where you'd have to drive out from the propane yard from. And this fucking killdozer just pushes this bitch right out of the way <laughs> yeah. like it's nothing. And it's just like, oh, my God. Like, that thing is unstoppable. And it's a monster. Yeah, and, and it's just this whole police cavalcade, like, like following this killdozer down the road, really they're just a moving barrier. All they can do, yeah. they, they have to do a reverse 911 call and tell everyone to stay in their homes. And um, then they had to do another call to tell people to get out, like uh, the the people in City Hall, because there's a library on the bottom of City, uh, I think it was City uh, City Hall, right? Yeah, and there were like So there's a library there on the shit. bottom level. Yeah, and then he even takes the bulldozer to the Johnson family, which or the Thompsons, Thompson family, yeah. who was the the you know uh, predominant family in the town who he felt he felt screwed them over him over in some way. He just completely obliterates their mom's house. They had yes. to like call her and wake her up and be like, "You need to get out of that house. This is not a joke." She was like thirty minutes, uh, thirty minutes before the killdozer drove through her house. She was asleep. Yeah. So, like, this is very close to to uh, even bigger disaster. Yeah. And it's really surprising that nobody died, really, other than uh, Marv when it comes to his carnage. And it and it's honestly, but it's a good thing. I, I'm 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 really glad that there wasn't any extra loss of life. Then he goes to this one of his nemesis's uh, hardware stores, and he begins his short order of just 
taking the whole side of the building out. And as he's doing it, the roof's starting to fall in and all that. He's also got issues with his killdozer at this time, though. The antifreeze, uh, what something. Yeah, the antifreeze, the antifreeze runs out or something and it hits the engine or something. And then this white, this white smoke starting to come out. Um, but that's not going to matter in a few moments no. anyway, because as he is tearing down the wall of this hardware store, Marv doesn't realize there's a basement in this, in the back of the store. And, and, um, Earth itself is the final thing that that ends the killdozer because as he's going down the side of the store, his right tread finally hits the basement and then the killdozer is is kind of stuck uh, sideways, not sideways, but it's just kind of uh, leaning into this trench now and the dozer is effectively stuck and yep. then it shuts down. Uh, the police back away from the killdozer because, like, all right, how's this going to end? You know, is it going to be a shootout? What's going to go down? And after a few moments, they hear a gunshot. They then, um, at, like, wire it with some explosives and try to blow it open. And the FBI at this point thinks, well, if he wasn't dead before, he's dead now. So they finally mount the thing. They get this fire torch and they have to weld open the top and as they look down inside they see that marv's lifeless body is laying there with a self-inflicted gunshot wound through the top of his head yeah which is funny because it's like no actually those explosives did not kill him he was already dead his body looked fine aside from the gunshot wound so yet again a testament to how good his killdozer was built because the explosives didn't even reach inside of the fucking tank although the the concussive blast probably would have fucked with you uh, yeah. even if it didn't leave any marks. So, yeah, I mean, he he uh, he committed suicide after doing his mission from God. And. Um, it it all could have. Um, it all could have been avoided, obviously. Um, he. I yeah, well, I don't know. I don't know if it could have been avoided because he was so far gone at that point he was making shit up like he was talking about how much of an asshole cody was but ironically he was the fucking asshole the entire time well it seemed like the city did they they did make him go through a lot of uh legal hoops um so i think part of his story was was correct but part of his story like i said and it's not like he didn't have the money to afford any of this shit his shop was super successful. The dude had money. It was just, he, he it was a, the principle of the fact yeah. he thought he was above the rules. I shouldn't have to do this. They're picking on me. Woe is me. You know, I'm the one being kicked. I'm going to teach these motherfuckers a lesson. You know, I'm going to teach these motherfuckers to not tread on me. It's the lone, <laughs> it's the typical lone yeah. wolf syndrome that you get with a lot of these like Caucasian, sh- like gunmen, the lone gunmen. It's always this, the profile is always this like lone, alone, antisocial white guy, usually, you know, male. Uh, you don't hear of a lot of wild gun women, thankfully. Um, but yeah, I mean, it exists, but it's not as common. Not nearly as common. I can't even think of the last time there was a shooting involving a, a woman um, where she just like starts shooting everyone in a public place. 
It might happen in like a domestic situation, but it's not some like random Columbine esque thing or anything like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, and everyone you know said that he just spent too much time by himself, and you know, if you too much time alone in the hot tub. <laughs> I mean, he had a fucking hot tub. Yeah, nice house. He uh, yeah, you know, he he um, and and the money he made selling his because uh, he did like I said, he did finally sell his muffler shop for four hundred thousand thousand dollars. What he did was he gave it to his dad, and then his dad gave it to his siblings. So and by his the dad passed away. Yeah. So by the time it was all said and done, getting any kind of recompense from the estate of uh, Mar- Mar- Marv was um, not going to happen because Marv was able to liquidate the money through channels that would have made it nearly impossible to um, get at. Yeah. Because speaking of speaking of liquidate, uh, that is what the state, well, not the state, the city ultimately did. They got the killdozer and they melted it down. Well, no, they just they turned cut everything it, into scrap. Yeah, they cut it down into scrap metal. And one of the the guys was saying that, um, you know, I think it was one of the Thompson brothers, who one of the people who was directly affected by this killdozer. He said, uh, I think it was a mistake. We should have kept it and built a museum around it. I, I think that's true, you know? Well, I don't know. I, I, I tend to side with the other guy who's like, we, we did that on purpose, so... No one could people... get all the parts and, and build yeah. their tribute to Marv, is what yes. he said. Yeah. It doesn't deserve to be uh, memorialized in that, in that sense. Yes, there's this documentary, but that's a that's not a physical construct you know there's something to be said about physical constructs in terms of shrines or or things that uh offer not necessarily respect but they pay tribute to things and i i could see why uh they decided to take that route uh at the end of the day i found it kind of the the the, uh, description of the townspeople who just standing on the side watching this carnage unfold i thought it was rather fitting because that's what it's like when you watch this film you're like the townspeople in granby who are just standing there on the side of the road watching marv and his killdozer just rampage through the town and you're just as shocked and just as uh surprised and and in some ways definitely enthralled by what's going on Despite the utmost and just insane amount of destruction. Yeah, I mean, I would say this documentary is definitely worth watching just for the modern marvel of this killdozer that he made. And how he turned an already Mac Daddy bulldozer into this indestructible tank, essentially. Um, and, and, and just to watch the... Uh, Futi- the the futility of like all these machines that are powerful in their own right, like a bulldozer and this big other fucking thing, um, try to you know affect this killdozer and it doesn't even leave a dent and they're firing these powerful guns at it and it's literally doing nothing and it's just they like threw flashbangs in there uh, yeah they threw flashbangs in the exhaust uh pipe or whatever it did nothing um 
yeah, so I mean, it's it's definitely worth a watch. It might start off a little slow, like, oh, where is this going? But it, yeah. there's a huge payoff at I'm the end. I'm surprised they didn't try to shoot out his cameras. Yeah, I thought that too, actually, because they started noticing at some point, they're like, how is he even able to see? Because there's no window that they can really like shoot into, and then they finally see the cameras... And yeah, I, I'm surprised. Uh, but maybe they did that on purpose so he wouldn't like just randomly, you know, cause even more carnage because he was on a focused path. So if they took out the cameras, then he'd just be blindly smashing through anything. It was kind of ballsy for them to follow him like that, knowing he has yeah. that that rifle mounted in the back. You know, mm-hmm. like could have could have shot at any one of them at any time. Well, you know, the reporter guy, he even heard shots whiz by his head as he's escaping his uh, the the building that uh, he worked at as it's falling apart. That w- that must have been terrifying. Like, I can't even imagine being in that scenario. He's like, I only had just enough time to take this one quick photo. Yeah, because bullets were flying by my head and. The roof was collapsing. Everybody's like, Jesus fucking Christ. It's yeah. definitely one of those uh, WTF, holy fucking shit kind of uh, documentaries. I can see why this uh, got a lot of good reviews and why it got a lot of people talking about it when it originally uh, first uh, showed up in people's queues. <clears throat> Yeah, I think I just like stumbled upon it um, when I was. You just read the synopsis and you're like, what? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm on board for this. Like, <laughs> fuck, yes. <laughs> he was also, he, when he was holed up in his uh, killdozer shack, he had a TV and he was watching movies, and one of them was actually the Vin Diesel film, A Man Apart. And he's so deluded at this point, he's like, I'm Vin Diesel. I'm getting revenge. I mean, anyone who... It's those who wronged me. Anyone who's I'm like... I'm a hero. They're, they're locked in a shack and they only have a select uh, couple of movies to have in there. And, and one of them is a Vin Diesel movie. You've lost a lot of respect in my book. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, he's made some decent films. Has he? Yeah. I just see him as a triple X guy. Fun- I have fun with Triple X. The sequels trash. Uh, I I like the Fast and Furious sequels after five. Um, Fast, I mean, I mean, including Fast Five because Fast Five was actually my favorite film of the series. And uh, A Man Apart actually isn't that bad of a film. Features one of his better performances. Mm, I'm okay. surprised he didn't have Rolling Vengeance, which is about a a guy who gets pushed too far and soups up his uh, monster truck and turns it into a, uh, a killdozer of his own, but this time it's it's a monster truck. Soups it up, puts steel on it, you know, has like a gun and everything. It, it's it's very similar. It's it's kind of eerie actually. Well, if they that, if they the do ever if they do ever make a movie of this uh of this story, I think it's going to be difficult for them to top the uh, reenactments that they already had in this documentary. Yeah, I don't, th- I don't think there is going to be one. Uh, funny, funny enough, the term "killdozer" actually exists. It's used for it's a TV movie from the seventies. Oh god! Somehow, a, a, a bulldozer gets possessed by some kind of ghost or spirit, and it's running rampant and wreaking havoc. 
But even that looks like fucking child's play compared to what actually occurred here in Tread in real life. So, yeah, that's the movie. I think that's pretty much all I have to say about it. I definitely, definitely, definitely recommend that you check it out. I don't say that lightly. Um, I think it's a great. It was it was very easy for me to go and rewatch it, knowing that we were going to be covering this for the episode of the podcast. Uh, I can't say that about a lot of uh documentaries but this one was a pleasure to go back and rewatch um so that's always good when a documentary has rewatchability um yeah cuz there's some documentaries I watch and I'm like okay I'm good with only seeing that the one time you know I won't be watching that again but I mean this is one you would love to watch with people who haven't seen it yet yeah, just to yeah. watch their reaction exactly yeah for sure all right, moving on. Uh, I am covering a Patreon request by Lisa. Uh, she's a new Patreon. You can um, donate to our Patreon, which a lot of people have probably been like, why the fuck am I giving money to these people? They haven't put out a podcast in like a month. I understand, but we're back now. And um, our Patreon is patreon.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries. Uh, if you pledge $5 a month, you can, uh, you know, tell us what, what you want us to cover. And... Lisa wanted me to cover the case of the uh, the death of Elisa Lamb. Uh, this was a pretty mysterious death, I will say. Um, she was a Canadian student at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, and she was recovered from a water tank atop the Cecil Hotel in downtown Los Angeles on February 19, 2013. She had been reported missing at the beginning of the month. Uh, maintenance workers at the hotel discovered the body when investigating guest complaints of problems with the water supply and water pressure. Uh, her disappearance had been widely reported. Interest had increased five days prior to her body's discovery when the Los Angeles Police Department released a video of the last time she was known to have been seen. On the day of her disappearance uh, by an elevator security camera, I read that sentence weird, but you'll figure it out. In the footage, uh, Lamb is seen exiting and re-entering the elevator talking and gesturing in the hallway outside and sometimes seeming to hide within the elevator, which appears to be malfunctioning. Uh, the video uh, went viral on the internet with many viewers reporting that they found it unsettling. Explanations range from claims of paranormal involvement to bipolar disorder, which Lamb took... Have you seen that video? I did. I remember see seeing that video. Yeah. And it is a really creepy, surreal video to watch. It, yeah, I mean, it to me it looks like someone who's having um, some kind of schizophrenic break or something. I mean, mm -hmm. yeah, she was 21 years old. I mean, you're, tw you're late teens. Apparently she had been diagnosed with bipolar disorder and depression. She had been prescribed four medications to treat her disorders at one point. According her, to her family, who supposedly kept her history of mental illness a secret... Lamb had no history of suicidal ideations uh, or, or attempts, uh, although one uh, report claimed she had previously gone missing for a brief, for a brief period. She also did a blog. Uh, she had blog posts talking about how she had struggles with school, with her anxiety and depression that led her to drop several classes. Um, she even used a quote from uh, Chuck Palachin, Pal Pal I can't say Chuck Palinick. Chuck Palinick, you're always haunted by the idea you're wasting your life 
which is a quote from I think one of his books or a quote from him. <clears throat> and uh, she I guess did a lot of posts like that before her death. And uh, there's some parallels to her story in a film called Dark Water, uh, which is a 2005 horror film. Uh, it, it was a remake of an earlier Japanese film of the same name based on a short story where a mother and a daughter move into a rundown apartment building. A dysfunctional elevator and discolored water gushing from the building's faucets eventually lead them to the building's rooftop water tank where they discover the body of a girl who had been reporting missing from the building a year earlier. And apparently uh, Darkwater, the creators of other shows and stuff used this story as inspiration for other episodes of different crime shows and so on and so forth. Um, so yeah, it's been talked about quite a bit on uh, in popular culture. <clears throat> Apparently, Ghost Adventures in 2021 is going to investigate her death. I don't know how that's going to go. Oh, yeah, okay. well, the, the hotel itself, um, there have been a lot of suicides in that hotel yeah. from people jumping from the building. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm sure I'm sure they think it's teeming with ghostly energy and the, you know, Elisa Lamb case may, gives it that extra bit of um, notoriety. So, you know, I'm sure it's like, you know, a wet dream for them to investigate that. Um it still was very weird. It's a very strange case, um, especially when it comes to how she was found, ultimately what she did. Uh, I, I do believe it probably had to do with her depression, and she probably did kill herself. I don't think this is a case of, like, murder, but um, I can see why some people uh, find this case to be intriguing especially when it comes to the footage and, and the uh, coverage it got from all of these different uh, sources and, and other news stations. I mean, the, the video was posted on a Chinese video sharing site, Yoku, and it got like 3 million views and 40,000 uh, 40, comments in its first 10 days. And you got people thinking about, like, oh, the video's been tampered with. They think some parts have been slowed down. Uh, a minute of footage has been removed. Um, so there's some mystery involved here. And I think a lot of people, are, they just like mysteries. And this one, I think, is one that really sparks a lot of people's imagination. Like, what happened to her? And then there's also the bit about her being naked in the water tank. and yeah. You know, like, she would have had to have taken her clothes off while in the tank, or yeah. she was thrown in the tank, and then, you know, her clothes were thrown in there as well, but there was no evidence of physical trauma, sexual or uh, sexual yeah. assault, um, or even suicide. Tox yeah. Toxicology tests... Um, Incomplete because there was not enough of her blood uh, that was preserved. It showed traces in, uh, consistent with prescription medication found among her belongings, plus non-prescription drugs such as Cinetab and ibuprofen. A very small quantity of alcohol was present, but no other recreational drugs. 
it was 0.02%. Yeah, um, pa- apparently, uh, when they were looking for her, guests of the hotel, they started complaining about low water pressure. Some claimed their water was colored black and had an unusual taste. Ugh, right? Like, knowing why there was low water pressure and why you had black water, like, uh, oh, man. Like, you were drinking decomposition juice. Yeah. Ugh. On uh, the morning of February 19th, her body was found in one of four 1,000-gallon tanks providing water to guest rooms, a kitchen, and a coffee shop. The tank was then cut open, drained, and its maintenance hatch was too small to accommodate equipment needed to remove Lamb's body, so they probably used some other sort of things to get in there. But, man, like, like what? who would think that low water pressure... It's due to a body being in the water tank, right? No yeah. one would think that. Yeah. Um, it's I one mean, of those it, things. Like, how does a hotel survive? You know, like, how does this hotel continue to get people to stay there with this history of suicides and this particular death? I, I just, I wouldn't even want to stay there. I just, I, too much bad juju. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, it it keeps reminding me for some reason I don't know why of the first episode of the new Unsolved Mysteries with that Ray. Oh yeah, the guy. Yeah, yeah. He jumped off the Rose or supposedly jumped off the uh, roof, the Roosevelt Hotel or whatever it was. Um, mm-hmm. and was found in the that building because he you know, crash through the roof or whatever. And, and it's like, how the fuck did that happen? Uh, it's, it, it's reminding me a lot of that. And, you know, it's a hotel just like the, uh, first one was a hotel. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it, it, it's like, you know, we, we know as much as anyone else would about it. Um, I guess there's a song by a post-hardcore band called Hail the Sun called Disappearing Syndrome that uh, the band was inspired by this story to uh, write a song about it. Uh, There were a few other people who wrote some songs inspired by the story. Um, There was going to be some horror film called The Bringing that uses investigation into it as a backstory for fictional investigating for fictional investigating detectives slowly unraveling, unraveling sanity, they were widely criticized for doing this so soon after the death. Danish director Nicholas Winding Refn, who did Drive, was originally slated to direct the movie, but it was suggested that somebody else was going to do it, but then it just that never got made. So the investigation had determined how Lamb died, but did not offer an explanation to show how she got into the tank in the first place. Doors and stairs that access the hotel's roof are locked, with only staff having the passcodes and keys, and any attempt to force them would supposedly have triggered an alarm. However, the hotel's fire escape could have allowed her to bypass those security measures if she, or someone who might have accompanied her there, had known. A video made by a Chinese user after Lamb's death and posted to the internet showed the hotel's roof was easily accessible via the fire escape, and that two of the lids of the water tanks were open. Apart from the question of how she got on the roof, others asked if she could have gotten to the tank by herself. 
All four tanks are four by eight foot cylinders propped up on concrete blocks. There is no fixed access to them. And hotel workers had to use a ladder to look at, at the water. They're protected by heavy lids, which would be difficult to replace from within. Police dogs that searched through the hotel for Lamb, even on the roof shortly after her disappearance was noted, did not find any trace of her, although they had not searched the area near the water tanks. Theories about Lamb's behavior in the elevator did not stop with her death. Some argued that she was attempting to hide from a pursuer, perhaps someone ultimately responsible for her death, while others said she was merely frustrated with the elevator's apparent malfunction. Some proponents of the theory that she was under the influence of illicit drugs are not dissuaded by their absence from the toxicology screen, suggesting that they might have broken down during the period of time her body decomposed in the tank, or that she might have taken rare cocktails of such drugs that a normal Mm -hmm. screen would not detect. I don't think she was on drugs. And the more I think about it, initially I'm thinking of suicide, but when you look at all of these different bits of evidence it's kind of unbelievable that she would kill herself this way but maybe she killed herself and then the body was put in there or she was murdered I'm thinking it's just one of those things we don't have enough evidence to really point to one direction and that's what's so frustrating with mysteries like this and why they remain mysteries because you don't have enough to be able to figure out what actually happened. It's, um, a, it's a stupid place to dispose of a body. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's going to get discovered relatively quickly because it's going to start fucking with people's water. Yeah. Yep. The autopsy. Uh, this is in the. F- you can go ahead. <laughs> All right. The autopsy report and its conclusions have also been a question. For instance, it does not say what the results of the rape kit and fingernail kit were, or if they were even processed. It also records subcutaneous pooling of blood in Lamb's anal area, which some observers suggested was a sign of sexual abuse. However, one pathologist has noted that it could have resulted from bloating in the course of the body's decomposition, and her rectum was also prolapsed. Ew. Yeah. Ugh. Ew. If you don't know what that means, look it up. It's not. I hope it's, you're not eating. No. Even the coroner's pathologists appear to be ambivalent about their conclusion that Lamb's death was accidental. Since her death, her Tumblr blog was updated, presumably through Tumblr's Q option, which allows posts to automatically publish themselves when the user is away. So she's still got these creepy post-mortem uh, posts popping up on... Uh, what the hell, Tumblr? Why the hell <laughs> do you even have that? Her phone was not found either with her body or in her hotel room. It has been assumed to have been stolen at the time around her death. Whether the continued updates to her blog were facilitated by the theft of her phone, the work of a hot hacker, or through the queue is not known... Nor is it known whether the updates are related to her death. I want to see what these updates say now. So there actually is another death that involves a water tank. There's a woman named Geetha Angara. She was a chemist. 
She was found in a water tank in the Passaic Valley Water Commission treatment facility in Totawa, New Jersey. After the tanks had been drained, uh, she had not been seen since the previous morning when she had gone to the water tanks to take samples. Items she had been carrying when she was last seen alive were also found. The items were a radio, a broken beaker, and a few other things. Uh, They were found in the water below an access panel that was slightly ajar. Broken glass was found on the floor near that panel. An autopsy found bruises on her neck consistent with choking as well as on her waist and elbows, suggesting that she had been involved in a violent struggle, but not a deadly one. The cause of death was also determined to be drowning, as she was alive when she she uh, had gone into the water. Awful. Horrible way to die. Investigators classified the case as a homicide, believing the killing had been intentional, and they put Angara's death as having occurred the day before. Since access to the plant was tightly controlled, police believe that the responsible party was someone else in the plant that day. After interviewing all of Angaro's co-workers over the next few months, detectives found some possible motives and narrowed a list of possible suspects down to eight men. Three were ultimately considered suspects, but after further investigation, the case went cold, and as of 2020, they have not been publicly identified and no arrests have actually been made. Investigators have also considered the possibility that the death was purely accidental, based on the work of a Scottish pathologist who argues that injuries very similar to those associated with strangulation can occur as victims drown in very cold water, such as that Angara was found in. The theory is that the plate over the tank might have negligently been left open following some sample collection for water testing. Struck by similarities of the 1968 killing of a woman in Passaic County, alone with a high-security industrial complex on a weekend, they look for leads in that case's file. In 2007, Angara's family, frustrated by the lack of progress, successfully pushed for the state attorneys general to review the case, but that effort did not result in any new leads or information either. I'm just imagining, like, how awful that would be. I mean, what if, like, even if it was just accidental, just horrible, just trying to take some water samples, and then, boom, you're in the tank... No one's going to get you out. You can't get out yourself. There's just no hope in that that scenario. Yeah, that would be be horrendous. Did you uh, find the posts, or did did they take the blog down? Let's see here. Yeah, I could have been doing that while you were reading, but I was, instead I was researching anal prolapse. (laughs) Oh my god, dude. Why would you want to do that to yourself? I want to learn more. Um, Trust me, you don't want to know more. <laughs> so I'm on her Tumblr, and yes, at the top it does have the Chuck Palahniuk quote, uh, you're always haunted by the idea, you're wasting your life. I guess I'll go to archive. Uh, so the, Okay, so she died. What date did she die? February 2nd, 2013. Okay, yeah, because she's got shit up through March, April... June, December. Does it actually? What does it actually say? I don't understand. I don't really know how Tumblr works. There's like a lot of pictures posted. I thought this was supposed to be like a vlog, but she's just got like pictures of random shit. No, it's a blog with pictures and some writing. So, yeah, so <laughs> she's got like five posts after. 
One's about there's a road in Rome built in 312 BC and is still in use today. This one says how to deal with emotions, a guide, and it's a big question mark. This one says, I think I understand Quidditch more than I understand football. I know I understand Quidditch more than I understand football. All the Harry Potter books from Hagrid's perspective, whatever. And then the final one is Rare Words. And then it's just got these words that are like Sabazism, the worship of stars, dwell, to wonder about delirious, to wonder about deliriously. Yeah, there's not really a thing of consequence that's like, wow, that really shines some light on it. It's just random shit that she probably had scheduled to post later. All right, well, that's 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 kind of a fascinating story. Honestly, I'm surprised uh, Unsolved Mysteries... Isn't that basically what uh, Tumblr is anyway? Just random shit, nothing that's why I never. That's why I never fucked with it. Apparently, it's really big on porn, too. Like, if you... N- not anymore. <laughs> oh, did they get rid of that? I got rid of all of that. Yeah, my cousin used to go to Tumblr just for the porn. They got rid of all of that. Uh, that's out the window. It's been out the window for years. Um, but uh, I'm surprised. Like, well, no, I'm not surprised. I mean, Josh now wouldn't want anything to do with Tumblr. But I, I think if Tumblr was around during when you were doing the Josh Flower Diaries, I, I, I think. Oh, you bet your bottom. You would have been all over. Bet your bottom dollar. I would have been all over that. Hell yeah, I would. <laughs> I mean, you can clearly see that. Like, I joined Zanga in 2004, so w- way back in 2004, I I wanted to be a part of social media. Like, I I liked social media. I still do. Yeah. Um, and that segues us into the perks of being a Josh Flower. I know you guys have been hungry for fresh Josh Flower entries. Um. For those of you who are just just jumping on board, I discovered my old diary entries on a website called Zanga that I wrote in from age like 14 or 15 to age like 24. And I've been reading through them on the podcast and a lot of you have been enjoying them. And uh, it gives me a good excuse to go down memory lane because i've like i've said a million times i would not read these diaries in my spare time because i'm not that much of a narcissist but because you guys enjoy my teenage pain i will go through it for you um i will say as i always say i am totally different person than i was back then so I might say some shit that might be homophobic or politically incorrect, and I apologize in advance. I don't pre-read any of these, so if I s- stumble over something that you don't like, then just know that it's not who I am now. Sunday, August 7th, 2005. I think a picture would more accurately describe my mood right now. I just feel drained. I'm tired as fuck, too. I had a weird-ass dream that my dad wore a bra just for the hell of it. Uh. (laughs) What? Yeah, apparently that's something that happened. Ugh, that that disturbed me. Man, I'm tired of school and, ugh, so gay. But it's just a thing, you know? It's not... Hey, that's what happens when you are constantly thinking about things that are so gay is yeah. it just winds up in your subconscious. Uh-huh, my dad wearing a bra. Um <laughs> it's just a thing, you know. It's it's not like it takes up the whole day. 
you get to go home eventually. Whenever I get nervous about something, I get legions of weird thoughts slash feelings. So now I'm kind of nervous about school. The only reason I'm kind of nervous about school is the whole panic attack deal, which I'm still suffering from today. I hope I don't have them there. Ah, it sucks. Because if your friends don't know, they just think you're acting weird. And I don't want to tell them. Only a few people know as it is, and I like it that way. And it's not like anyone will know now because no one reads this. I'm like Amrisa. No one comments on my Zanga except Casey, my ex-girlfriend, LOL. She's cool as hell, though. I like her. I never really hated her at all. I don't have the ability to hate her. And that's as far as I'm going to go with that for now. Um, School. Ah, weird dreams. What is happening in the life of Josh Jaquan Cannon? <laughs> I wish I knew. Yo, okay. Was that something you put there, Jaquan? Yes, I put Jaquan. I thought it was something you just added. Randomly. Nope, nope. nope. I, was always, I was always making fun of rap culture back in the day because I thought it was stupid. Still kind of do. Um, all right, moving okay. on to Monday, August 8th, 2005. First day of school. This was like the only time I've ever kind of enjoyed my first day of school. It went by fast and I felt on top of everyone because I'm older than most of the kids. It was pretty cool. But I know tomorrow they're going to pile on the shit because we didn't do anything today except get shit like books. The only class I'm not really sure about is third, which is weightlifting. We got to dress out and shit, and that gets annoying because I'm lazy. And stupid fupa Mr. Fat Fuck Yerby tried to embarrass me today. When we were doing attendance, I said, I'm here, and it sounded gay. So under my breath, I said, and I'm queer. And he goes, what, 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 what was that? His voice was so loud, like shit was shaking on his desk, and I could feel his hot-ass breath from all the way across the room. Well, that was that. That was my first day of school in 2005. Tuesday, August 9th, 2005. I always wanted to put my face between some girl's boobs and go, and shake my head back and forth really fast. <laughs> so he, hey, Josh, is he wants to do a motorboat. Like, who doesn't? <laughs> Thought I'd share that, share my fantasy with you guys. School is starting to get gay again. On the second day, I keep fearing that a panic attack will come at any time while I'm at school, so I'm always kind of nervous. Ugh, I need to do something about that, and I haven't slept worth a crap lately either, and this day went by way too fast. Bye. Okay. Uh, Wednesday, August 10th, 2005. Hello, I'm so tired. Oh my god. Last night I didn't fall asleep until around 2.30. That's crazy. I just laid in fucking bed, no falling asleep. Oh my god, it was so annoying. Today was a bad day for me. I'm sore all over. My butt bone still hasn't healed. I think I'm getting a cavity. Why is your butt bone um, I don't, hurt? I feel like I told the story. Um, I had injured my coccyx when I was... Um, in that grade, um, I want to say I was in ninth grade or so. Yeah, or no, I was—I would think I would have been in 10th grade by then because I graduated in 2007. So me and my cousin were like, my aunt had a, or my grandma had a ramp um, added onto her house because she had to use a wheelchair to get up and down. And when it rained, the ramp was slick and me and my cousin were like running and like sliding on our feet down the ramp wearing shoes, of course. And I got, I picked up a lot of speed and my feet flew out from under me and I, I landed right on my ass. And I'm, I'm pretty sure, like, looking back, I fractured my tailbone because after that, 
anytime I would like sit down, it wasn't the sitting down that hurt, but it was the standing back up, like where, uh-huh. you know, the tailbone decompresses from being sat on. And that dude, it would kill me to get out of my seat. Like it hurt so bad. So that's what I'm talking about there. Um, tailbone still hasn't healed. I think I'm getting a cavity. I have a bitchin' earache for which we spent a lot of my after school at the doctor. Yeah, and get this. The lady said I gave myself swimmer's ear because when I shower, I point the shower head into my ear to, like, break up the dirt and wax buildup. But she said that was a bad thing to do because water gets into your ear and stays there. So I have to stop doing that now. And my throat hurts and my allergies are kicking in. Man, life, ew. Will it ever get better? <laughs> well, you know, it will if you stop pointing the fucking shower head in your ear. <laughs> it seemed like a good idea at the time. I would just like to know where God is right now. I mean, it really doesn't seem like he likes me very much, but I still love and respect him. I just question his ways sometimes, I guess, which is probably some sort of sin. I haven't had a good sleep in like three days. I would love to fall asleep good tonight. That would be great. I got my first zero today. I didn't know we had a fucking section review in world history. So yeah, man, life is just so much shit right now. I don't even think I would give myself permission to have a good life, even if it was right in front of me. I subconsciously tell myself that there's always has to be a problem in my life to keep me in the fucking dirt, because apparently my mind thinks that's where I belong. That's actually something I still believe of myself. I believe my brain always has to have a problem to keep me distracted. And I'm starting to have obsessive thoughts again. Sacrilegious thoughts. Those are the worst. I really want to go see a therapist because I can't talk to anyone anymore. Man, I miss having talks with my friend Megan. She was so wise. That's like one of the only girls I could be friends with and not have to have any relationship worries. I mean, she was one of my best friends. She probably would have made a good girlfriend, but I wasn't physically attracted to her at all. Not saying she was ugly, just some people I am not attracted to. Everyone else can think that person is hot and say they just don't physically uh wait everyone else can think that person is hot and they just don't physically click with me example paris hilton jessica simpson hillary duff i don't know but anyway i just wish i had one friend who i could really connect with i need someone who i can who can care about me or a girlfriend whichever the problem i have with my circle of friends is that they don't really want to hang out outside of school and outside of school is when I'm most alone because they all have lives. And I used to have a bitch load of people I could call and talk to, but they all just seem annoyed when I call now. So whatever. These are like perfect circumstances to turn into an emo kid. But I'm so much stronger than to start feeling bad for myself like they do. I don't know. I just want to get a good night's sleep and stop the panic attacks and get a good friend or girlfriend. That would be great. I, I would be much appreciative. Oh, and to get into a band, that would be awesome. Okay, well, I'm going to leave now and yell at old people. Okay. <laughs> it was like a normal post. Not much in terms of anger or bitterness. or And then it was just, I'm just going to yell at old people now. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, I, what's, what's funny about that last post is, like, I still feel like... Uh, a, a lot of those sentiments are kind of true as far as like yeah. the always feeling like I need something to be fucking with me. Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember that sounded familiar because I remember you and I have talked about that before. Yeah. And it's like I, I just started out the podcast talking about like 
having to get back on anti-anxiety meds. This is a game I've been playing my whole life. I mean, this is nothing new. I tr- I tell people I've had anxiety ever since I was five years old, and um, I, it's 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 the real deal. I mean, it's been my whole life. It hasn't. This is not some trend that anyone wants to be a part of. Although I do. Who the hell would actually do that willingly anyway? Yeah, I I don't, I don't know. It seems like some people like to over like outplay their mental illness a little bit to get on that like oh you know oh the sympathy thing yeah the ba- uh, kind of the okay. bandwagon of like oh I have this too or I, I remember when like uh, the whole Me Too movement was going on I, there were some fucking guys I knew who were trying to like conflate some ass slap they had to these chicks who are talking about their rape stories yeah, it's like that, yeah get the fuck out of here yeah that's not the same not but, the same you know i i mean if if they posited it in a way that wasn't like oh it's the same thing then it might not be that troublesome but if they're like saying like oh I, this happened to me and it's like you could say something like well that's similar kind of thing or or it kind of did but not in the same way because I think, you know, that does happen, too, is there is instances where men are, you know, but uh, it it's, it's just a bad thing for anybody. All right, this is, Male a, or female. this is the last one I'll read and then we'll wrap it up. Monday, August 15th, 2005. I stayed home today because, well, pretty much it was my it was because my dad didn't feel like taking me to school. But to appease my mom, I had to go to the doctor's. I don't even feel sick, but we went, and the lady wouldn't even fill out a prescription. It was a big waste of time. So, yeah, now I have to make up homework. That sucks. I usually never even do make up work, and my mom is totally bitching out my dad because he let me stay home. My mom is riding my dad's ass all the time now. I think he might have a nervous breakdown, and my mom ain't helping the situation. He always raises his voice now for little things, but he is under a lot of pressure from everyone. So whatever, I'm bored. I don't care. I want a what a fucking bitchy little teenager. Yeah. Uh, I want a girlfriend. I want to make out. It's about to rain. Bye. Edit. <laughs> Yo. Edit. Yo. You know it's ten o four p.m. Uh, the p.m. stands for palm mute. Okay. Sorry about that. So, anyways, I'm thinking about shutting down my MySpace. It's gotten way too trendy. My freaking best friend's little brother who is 12 has one. And today I discovered that a lot of really Christianly MySpace or a lot of really Christianly people could see my MySpace and see something, some incriminating evidence. Who cares? So I like this better (laughs) to where no one knows I have it. What do you think I should do? Yeah. So I, I guess, um, I, I guess I'm like, even back then I'm starting to realize that, um, Posting on uh, social media can get your well. See if kids who I went to school with or a teacher or something saw it. I don't know. Maybe you could get in trouble. But that was the thing about Zanga is like you had this sense that like nobody knew about it, so I could you know truly write whatever I wanted to without fear of uh, you know repercussions or anything like that. Um, all right, so I, we're going to wrap it up. Um, if you want to join our group on Facebook, you can go to uh, Facebook, go to the search bar, type in Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries, go to the group section. I don't know. Go to groups, type in Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. I'm not going to teach you how to use Facebook, Grandpa. You should know it by now. 
Uh, we're on Instagram at Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. We're on Twitter at Uncovering UM. Um, I already told you about our Patreon, patreon.com slash Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. Uh, my band will be dropping a new song called Happy Murder Electric uh, tomorrow, Friday, J- January 8th. Uh, this podcast might be out after the song is dropped. But if that's the case, go and listen to it, please. Give us some some love. We're on Spotify. We're on Apple. We're on Bandcamp. We're on SoundCloud and YouTube. I'm going to be dropping a lyric video. We have a band page, facebook.com slash Dancing With Ghosts official. Um, and if you want more of me and Mike, but you want us separately, we have YouTube channels that we both put a lot of time into. Um, Mike is the movie guy, the movie connoisseur, and if you want to watch him and him alone, you can go to his channel, which is youtube.com slash OCP communications, uh, link to our YouTube channel is in the description of this podcast. Mike, what was the last video you did? The last video I did is a review of Galaxy Quest, one of my favorites. Really enjoy that movie, a lot of fun, grew up watching it on VHS. And uh, really enjoyed rewatching it on Blu-ray recently. So I also posted a <laughs> review of The Last Starfighter. And uh, I've seen a lot of stuff lately. Uh, saw a weird movie called Free Jack, which has Mick Jagger in it for some reason. Well, I mean, and it's called Free Jack. Act. Oh, what a surprise. Yeah. He can't really sing either. Oh! Oh! <laughs> I do not like the Rolling Stones. I'm sorry. I don't view them as the institution of brilliance that a lot of people do. I don't mind them, but I, I can see what you mean. Um, I mean, their coolest song was Paint It Black, but that's because it sounded nothing like any of their other stuff. It had this very... I don't mind Jumping Jack Flash, but the song's, other than that... The song's annoying to me. <laughs> but it's all right. Jumping Jack Flash, it's a gas, gas, gas. I'm good on that. Good on that, Mike. Um, all right, so go over to Mike's YouTube channel if you want to see that. He's got he's reviewed every movie that's ever existed. So just go no, go not, through not really go through the Rolodex there. <laughs> I'm, I'm honestly, if someone were to guess like five movies that you reviewed, you've probably reviewed one of the five that they guess. Uh, you've done a Maybe. lot of it you've depends. done a lot it of depends. reviews. Not as much as a friend of mine. He's done way more, but mm-hmm. uh, I, I'm trying to do more this year in 2021 as well as another podcast but i just need to that's going to take a lot of research and i'm a lazy bastard so we'll whatever see. happened to uh <laughs> glorious failures or whatever that one was called. oh uh behind the fail yeah i still have a plan for that so that's what i mean like i'm a lazy bastard so yeah i wanted to we'll hear that just... i wanted to hear that one uh i think that's a good idea but it, i could <laughs> i could see how it would involve doing a lot of research and shit yeah. Um, all right. If you want to watch my YouTube channel, uh, it is youtube.com slash dancing with ghosts. Uh, and it's not just my band's music. I actually do a bunch of my own just separate entertaining videos. Um, the last video I did was responding to your negative comments on my more controversial videos. Um, January 15th, I will have been on YouTube for six years. And throughout that time, I've made some videos that have gotten a lot of hits thankfully but with that comes a lot of the trolls and a lot of the negative feedback and some of the videos i've made are just straight up controversial and um 
I respond to some of the negative things that were said. And um, the video before that, I reviewed the new Smashing Pumpkin album, Seer, and my thoughts on the album. Um, I do tier list videos for some of my favorite bands. I reviewed the Dalai Lama's album that he dropped, I think, in 2019. Uh, so, yeah, go over my channel and check out all that. If you really want to cringe, you should uh, check out Steven Seagal's music. Oh, God. <laughs> guy's such a weirdo. He did a song called Alligator Ass. Ugh. That's actually the name of the song. But, uh, all right, guys, until next week, uh, have a good rest of your night. Bye. See ya.